Welcome to Keep IT Healthy Podcast, a show hosted by people making things happen in technology, aiming to optimize healthcare delivery, health, well-being, and fitness. My name is Jan Kaminski, and I'm the co-founder of AppLover, a company dedicated to improving the quality of life with IT solutions and digital advisory. We started making this podcast to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Our guest today is Michael Matson, the CEO at Svexa. Hi there. Hello. Nice to be uh, joining you on this podcast. Thank you for joining. And we'll start with a very simple one. Um, can you tell us a backstory about what brought you to this particular career path? <laughs> uh, it could have been an, an easy one. It could have been a straightforward one, but it's it's not really. It's uh, it's just by chance and and uh, a different opportunities. So I was never never uh, attempting to be neither a researcher nor an entrepreneur. Um, so. Uh, this entire thing with with uh, the research career and also with Svexa going going forward uh, was because I was trying to be a better coach uh, for for athletes, uh, endurance athletes of different uh, sorts. So I thought that I need to take some courses at the university. So I had uh, everything from psychology to stress management to organizational courses, uh, and then realized that they had a good one at uh, Karolinska Institute in Sweden in physiology. So the idea was only to do one semester of physiology at Karolinska and then, then be done with it. And I get the certificate and then continue with, with my uh, coaching career. Uh, it turned out that that course was uh, by far the best one I'd ever done. Uh, and it also had a kind of a, a stepwise. You could do the B course and C course and D course. Uh, and the A course was something, was a prep course for, for medical doctors as well. So it was like 200 people in that course. But then it narrowed very quickly. So you just had a few people. Yeah, I think it was 40 people in the B. And then uh, when we came up to, to D level, it was uh two or three people per year. Uh, so because of the work we did there with Ultra Endurance Athlete and the thesis work and, and uh, a lot of lot of research papers coming out of it, I got uh, got the chance to continue with a PhD and then uh, continue as, a, as an assistant professor immediately after. Uh, and to, to get to more resources, better research maybe, um, I moved to Stanford 10 years ago, Stanford University in California, which happens to be in the middle of Silicon Valley. And, and uh, uh, in Sweden, you're supposed to do either business or research. Uh, at Stanford, it's kind of the other way around. You're a bit weird if you're a professor and don't have a couple of startups. Uh, <laughs> So over the years, uh, the combination of precision medicine, the group that I've been at, uh, still still at Stanford, still in at Stanford, um, and knowledge about cardiovascular medicine, genetics, uh, biomedical data sciences, and, and uh, later on technology as well, like hardware technologies, and my knowledge in physiology, uh, we were in a in a too good to be true situation, like all planets aligned situation. Uh, to start Svexa from that uh, as a s- kind of a spin-off from from physiology at Karolinska and, and uh, precision medicine from Stanford. Okay, so you were an athlete and then a researcher and then an entrepreneur in that order? Uh, even even coach in between there. So athletes, uh, I got a couple of, of national medals, but wasn't really that good. Uh, so turned coach pretty early. Uh, and then from coach to scientists, to to entrepreneur, definitely. 
Okay, so you know, I, I will start with the with the sport because I, I, I when I was you know researching since the age of eight, right? You have been practicing different endurance sports like running, cross country skiing, and and another. And but you and pretty recently participated in Adventure Racing World Championships in Paraguay or the America's toughest race in Oregon, right? So these are like extreme endurance marathons, like 250 or 500 kilometers. So they would, I would even call them extreme survival school in the desert, or I wouldn't even say, I mean, I don't know if that's even a sports competition, something something just unhuman in a sense, you know, like, like from the endurance perspective, but how does it help you? Like, do you do yourself became an equipment for your scientific research later on? What was that? I think everyone running would it be would would like to be the fastest fastest alive, so hundred meter dash. Yeah. And then the story is that if you're not good enough at hundred, you go to something longer. You go to to four hundred, and then if you're not good enough there, you go to middle distance. And if you're not good enough there, you go to longer and longer. So I ended up with the, the ultra endurance uh, events. <laughs> Uh, and I started doing them uh, quite early. So I've, I've been doing that for, for um, 25 years now. And at the beginning, it was, was the, um, the challenge. Can I do this? Uh, and then longer and longer and, and uh, making sure to, to survive doing them. Uh, and then I raced at higher level for, for quite a few years in, in the early 2000s. Uh, and then nowadays... I should say that that was was uh, great because then I I knew the people that were racing at high level in ultra endurance and had a much easier way to recruit them as a test subject for the for the research for the science. So and also knowing what they could be uh, what stress they could be put under. So for example, very early we had a twenty four hour test in a lab. Uh, so people doing uh, kayak ergs, uh, uh, treadmills, and, and uh, bike ergs uh, in a lab for for uh, for twenty four hours and, and testing them every every other hour. Um, so I don't think that would have been possible unless I knew the people beforehand and, and uh, knew what would be possible. And nowadays, I would say it's more of a, a uh, vent, uh, a kind of um, a reset. Uh, so you're, you're correct. I try to do two of these uh, expedition type races a year now. Uh, so one spring and one fall. And, and uh, um really really enjoy it and it's uh off the grid so you are not thinking about anything else than just uh moving forward so the world championship in paraguay was uh, last uh, fall uh just a few few weeks ago came back from morocco marathon but you were you were in the top 30 right and you're not not, not a professional athlete anymore and that's 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 an accomplishment uh yeah <laughs> that, that that's all the years uh the historical years so and also great teammates uh to to take care of me and, and uh push me forward so the, uh, the adventure racing circuit you are four in a team so mixed mixed gender teams um and it's super super hard to be like top five or top ten mm -hmm. but with our experience over 25 years and and being in decent shape and the experience from from all the different disciplines, we, we can uh, can be top thirty and and uh, qualify for for uh, this year's world championships as well. How many hours per week are you training? 
I would call that very uh, interval based. Uh, so some weeks are are a lot, and some weeks are are literally zero. Maybe not zero, but but very low. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, and you know you have participated in many adventure races and ultra marathons around the world. Another recent one was in the desert, on the desert. But what was the most extreme endurance event experience in your life? Uh, it, it's hard to pick one because they're very, very different. You would have the uh, kind of slower pace uh, activities that are, are strenuous in a, in a different way. So like Marathon du Sable is, uh, you, you can be competitive and, and run it, but but uh, that's that's not me. So it's more of a, a survival camp and, and uh, all the other things that you have to figure out as well. So you carry your food and you sleep in a tent and, and stuff like that. Uh, the year before, I skied across Greenland, uh, so it's an even longer but kind of less physiological strain per day, but high mental because same as in the desert, you can't get you can't get out of the cold or you can't get out of the heat. You just have to deal with it and continue, mm -hmm. um, or you you tap out, and and you don't want to do that. Whereas the adventure races are are much faster, harder, uh, and then. You can have a race like in Paraguay uh, last year that is really long and really tough. But if you stay kind of under or within your limits, uh, that can be a nice experience. Whereas if you try to push harder to, to win, even if it's a, let's say, simpler race, uh, it's going to be harder on, on you. Mm -hmm. But do you like draw any conclusions from those races? In a sense, I always wonder if you're running for 48 hours, 72 hours, are you thinking about, I don't know, the business or anything in general? Or are you just thinking about the next 100 meters and the next 500 meters, meters etc.? Uh, the, the good thing with uh, the long races and, and uh, several days, uh, basically in a combination of you have to do the right things, otherwise you... Oh, it's a, it's a real risk to die if you do stupid things uh, because it's in an exposed environment and then might be climbing in there as well and, and might be, be exposed positions. Uh, so from time to time, you will have a need to focus and, and just do that and be in the moment. Whereas other times it might be super long treks over fields and, and uh, nothing's going to happen. So in those cases, you need to or you you can allow yourself to think about everything else in the world and, and uh, what's what's important and, and uh, maybe solve a few few uh, problems and, and uh, think about whatever whatever's on your mind. What skills did you use in either scientific work or even, you know, running a business later on? I think that the obvious uh, from sports to science to business is the the uh, one is stamina that it's not going to happen overnight. You have to do a lot of training to be successful and you also have to plan quite far in advance uh, into the future. Uh, what I do today, let's say that I'm, I'm supposed to, to run something in September or in October, I would plan something today that will be the best for September, October. Uh, which is very similar to, to the research. Uh, you think of something, you have to plan different steps and, and uh, how to get closer to that. It will take months, maybe years to get to the end point. And in some cases it works, in some cases it, it wouldn't. And therefore it's like you might win the race, you might lose, and then you have to redo everything again. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
entrepreneurship should be thought of in a similar way. It's not going to happen the way you want it. You have to adjust. You have to both plan for the long term uh, because otherwise you will not be able to provide it. To, well, to develop something that is is um, worthy of of uh, being new and uh, changing something, be relevant. So it will take time to get to that level. Otherwise, everyone would do it. And at the other kind of side of the coin, you have to flip side. You have to do something that is relevant now. Mm -hmm. and then test it and then redo everything again. This, did this experience led you to start the company, start Sfexa, or what was the story behind uh, you know, founding your own company? Uh, this, the story behind founding the company was more that people started to ask us questions and we realized that we could answer them and it was not that common to be able to answer them. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple of... of uh, kind of seeds to the company. Uh, one was a conference in in Dublin and already back in 2014 uh, where, where they had invited uh, uh, head of sports science and performance coaches and, and uh, different sorts of, of uh, tech company together with the, uh, it was rugby, uh, football or soccer and Gaelic football. Uh, and then mm -hmm. my role was to listen to two days of, of uh, presentations uh, and then give the kind of final keynote and then summarize the two days and, and uh, look into the crystal ball and say something about the future mm -hmm. and I, I clearly remember it was the the head of performance at Newcastle Football Club he he showed a slide where he had 11 different data streams coming into him and his team that mm -hmm. they manually had to to curate and, and uh, figure out what it meant together so mm -hmm. at, at that stage, the obvious conclusion was that they should put them together. They should put all the data streams together and then get an easier way to ingest all the data. That's for from a Svexa perspective. We had way before that started developing algorithms for individualization and understanding that not everyone is the same. And when I moved to Stanford, that became even more like you had new new systems in place compared to old group average systems that you could do in use in precision medicine and pick out what will be the best medicine for you based on your individual profile, mainly in genetics and, and uh, your history and, and uh, taking that into account. Uh, so those two, the precision medicine and the individualization combined with having too much data. And then we were in a very fortunate position again, being in, in Silicon Valley, that uh, I think all most of the big tech companies wanted into health around 2015. And mm -hmm. they started building their own uh, watches. That's the first Apple watch and, and uh, all the other ones wanted something similar. Uh, and we were the closest uh, research facility for them so we've done uh as researchers done uh, collaborations with with uh, most if not all of the big tech companies and then we realized that they are they are absolutely great engineers and, and they can can build the hardware and the software uh our combination knowledge in, in physiology and, and practical is somewhat lacking so you would have a lot of practitioners like personal trainers and, and uh, have a lot of content but how do you put it together how do you be the can you be the translator between the tech side and the user side the content side mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so so we 
thought that or we, we kind of made the, the analysis that in that space, it's not that many people that have been doing this work for 25 years or have the scientific background and also the practical knowledge of, of how to do it. So that inspired the whole concept of exercise intelligence, right? Yeah, you can you can say yeah definitely and, and putting it together and and the uh the the broader like the the definition of of uh, intelligence as in the more in the military it's uh, uh like information and and active understanding and and ability to perform uh, computational functions all of that is in intelligence not maybe not the the intelligence that you would use in in uh, mm-hmm. But you, you mentioned a lot of data streams. So what kind of data sources does Svexa utilize you know, to provide the personal training, support, and insights, etc.? So two insights on our side there. Uh, first of all, for us to be relevant, we need to be able to take all the data streams that are available. So in many cases, especially when you work with sports teams, they have been collecting data for years before. And it's much easier to create your profile if you have historical data about yourself. Uh, But the data they collect will be different. So if you have a runner, they will have a a running watch. If you have a a cyclist, they will have a power meter. If you have a a football team, they will have GPS tracks. Uh, So we need to be able to use all of those from all the providers and then spend a lot a lot of time harmonizing data from different providers of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in some cases, it's the same. So let's say all of these different sports, they might have a heart rate band of some sort, heart rate monitor. All of them have a situation where they need to be, they need to take the environment into account. So the weather and, and uh, wind and altitude, and excuse me, all of that. Whereas in some cases, they, they do or they don't have the data. Um, so for us to be able to take whatever is there, is one of the the uh, core features key features for us the other one is that we we would be we will be more accurate if we have a lot of different data streams so if we have subjective data objective data if we have data from training and data from from uh, away from field we will be more accurate mm-hmm. and we, if we have three years of historical data we will be more accurate but we can't expect anyone to start collecting and then wait three years before we give them a recommendation or something. So we must be working in hierarchies, meaning that we have something that we can deliver and give a response to immediately, but the accuracy will be lower. And then the more data we get in and the more data streams we add, the, the higher the accuracy will be. But could you also explain how, because we were talking about data, but how those algorithms and software in general contribute to decision support for you know sport teams, athletes, companies in the sports sector, in general the health tech industry, but obviously oh, sports tech, like how how does it work in general? <laughs> uh, uh... A couple of things there as well. So first of all, we're a B2B company. So so we license our algorithms to other hardware and software companies, mm-hmm. uh, preferably. And then we work with some some athletes and some sports teams to, to get the data and, and uh, develop the system, basically. Uh, and how it works and, and how to do it, that's obviously in our secret source. So, so that's uh, where, where our value comes in. Uh, what does it mean, all of this? What, what are the insights for this person? But you could 
kind of as an as an example we could talk about for cross-country skiers and just um, within the same same team same national team they will have different responses to altitude going to altitude and how hard they can can train uh, and if we then can give them an algorithm and and calculate and say skier number one uh, needs uh, three days on on altitude at altitude before they they can uh, train hard whereas uh, skier number two needs seven days before they can train hard Mm -hmm. uh, or the vice versa when they go down how many days they need before they go down uh, i gave you one uh, example um, but if you have uh, let's say the same let's say a, a football team a soccer team they will have maybe 10 or 12 different data streams and and from that maybe 150 and or more variables that are relevant meaning that there are mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of correlations uh, so one of the first aspects to to help the coaches or the athletes with is to sort all this and pick the markers that are the most relevant for each individual mm -hmm. so for some it might be that that uh, at this stage they need to think about uh, sleeping more than seven and a half hours uh, someone else got no correlation between their sleep and their their uh, performance uh, or illness or anything else and someone else is, is uh, always sleeping nine hours, but they they get uh, cranky and, and underperform if they sleep eight. Meaning that the regular, the normal recommendation of sleeping eight is more than enough for one and not good enough for the other. Mm -hmm. And the key here is to put that together and give the recommendations to to each individual of all the things that could matter so you tell someone make sure to to sleep enough and you tell someone else make sure to eat your late evening meal uh 40 minutes later uh, otherwise you will wake up early and not recover overnight mm -hmm. and again these are only examples obviously it will be everything from from uh, the training intensity and if they can tolerate more threshold training or more high intensity training or how they're gonna and ramp up after after uh, being away for for a couple of weeks in in, in off season recovery, for example. So it's uh, I think the, the format here of, of uh, <laughs> trying to explain all the different examples. Uh, it, it's uh, mm -hmm. uh, we know that it's a bit abstract, uh, but the the conclusion that taking all the data, condensing it to picking the markers, the variables that are most important for you, and telling you what to do today to optimize your performance in many interviews when i was reading that you obviously pay much attention to data ownership i want to get into that a little bit as well because i have it and you've said once let me quote in the future you as an individual must own all your data you must be able to revoke access from someone and you must be able to give access to someone so could you elaborate on that why it's important so so this became always been clear very clear from the from way before we even started svexa and that is um traditionally in sports team it's the sports team or the coach that owns the data and tell you to wear this device or or do this thing uh, and then if the coaching team is disappearing that data is lost or the new coach will have some other suggestions or <clears throat> you you choose to to change a manufacturer so that data is lost um so, so that's a problem and also if you move from 
your youth team to your junior team to your adult team and then you switch teams you will start from scratch again and, and collect the data and even within a season uh one of the first projects we did ever did was vexa was with with a premier league club where we looked at the data and, and uh, they had great data over the uh, the season uh, had full control of the players and then they were away for for 10 days on on national team uh duty and then they had 10 days of data loss uh in the middle of the season and then a few weeks of of uh, their good data again and then 10 10 days lost and this is obviously not a good situation neither for the clubs national team or the individual and i think that the only solution for this is that the individual they own their own data they can move it from one club to the next uh the data travels with them when they grow so that you have your your youth data and can compare your most recent season as a as an adult with what you did as a as a as a young athlete and then the coaches if you if you want to say let's say that you are sensitive to high training loads you can be one of the best athletes in the world if you stay within your limits but those limits are slightly lower than the the group average meaning that you, you can you can find those examples you have players uh in, in soccer football that are great uh they make the national team uh, they get sold to another club and then they get injured or they underperform uh, in the new environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in some cases they move to the next club, uh, third club there, uh, and then they are back at their, their super high uh, performance level. And many of those situations could be avoided if you, if you traveled with your athlete passport, your player passport of data. Mm -hmm. So, so that will be like a seamless transfer of data and like integration of medical and training information across different entities, different clubs, different, different, let's say not entities in general. Mm, but is the sport market ready for it from the tech perspective? I don't think nowadays that the tech perspective is the 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 biggest hurdle uh it's i think i think it would be even possible to do it now it would be when when um, web3 and, and blockchain is more commonplace mm -hmm. it would be an obvious um, use case for for that i think that um, the the market is not ready for it yet uh in in some leagues uh, like in nba for example on paper the players are are allowed to to get their data in some other leagues they are allowed to 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 download their own data but there are no systems in place for how to to actually handle it practically mm -hmm. and also in some leagues you are not uh the player unions have have stopped you from as a as a team ask a player to measure for example sleep because it's away from from the game from the training facility and therefore considered intrusive but obviously the player can choose themselves to to measure that but then it's not connected to the data that they have from the the team mm -hmm. but is it connected with the country to a region or rather a sport and how invested it is in a sense so the money obviously or there's no rule uh, the different rules, I would say, in different countries, different league, different sports, uh, and no, no consistent framework, no consistent system for for how to mm -hmm. to transfer data. Okay, mm -hmm. and 
about the data privacy. How do you ensure the privacy and the security of the data collected from, let's say, athletes or teams? And you know, what measures do you have in place to protect the sensitive information? Because obviously these are probably quite important, even from the like a like a security perspective of their 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 IP and the club's IP. So how is how it's done? Uh, if you talk about our if we th- the question is about our specific case, then then uh, it's we, we try yeah. to have as little data as possible on our side. Uh, so there are a few layers here. One is is uh, security, and one is ownership. And and uh, obviously we have a lot of of security in place to assure that we're not uh, leaking any data. That would be an issue. Uh, we have uh, kind of the first line of of. Uh, defense the same way as you do in science that you remove the the identifiers for names for example for from the data sets mm-hmm. and get a, a number instead and have the data stay at the the client the the sports team usually uh, and depending on the situation we, we again we have to be as Svek said we have to be flexible so we mm-hmm. need to be able to to run our analysis uh, on API calls where a sports team or, or a client sends their data or, or a request for a uh, calculation and then they get their response back in other cases we need to be able to deploy our algorithms and, and solutions on prem uh, so, for example, some of the sports teams would not allow anything to go outside of their facility. Obviously, the same as in a in a medical uh, field. So, so we're in a good position to to do the same thing there. Uh, so, some sports teams, military, hospitals would be very similar. Whereas other situations, they can send the data to get the answer, uh, anonymized data to send get the answer, and then continue to store it on their side. Mm-hmm. So like, the general take would be that personal ownership of health data, it contributes and it personalizes your trainings. And that's an, that's an add-on here. Yeah, we're pretty pretty confident now we're doing uh, continuously doing research and, and showing that uh, if you individualize, if you start from your situation and you train what's best for you, then you're going to get better results. So it's not, I don't think that the, premise there is any anyone arguing against um mm-hmm. it's just how do i know me as an individual how do i know what i should do today what, what types of sports um or activities does vexa technology cater to mostly is it uh you know applicable only for elite and like professional athletes or is it for recreational amateurs as well or it can be used that way e, so first of all uh the system we've we've uh, built and are building. Uh, We started with elite athletes simply because they are in a more controlled situation. Uh, They have more data, they do their training and they train for a specific goal, meaning that the optimization problem is pretty straightforward. You train to be swimmer, you go to your pool, you you do your training sessions, you have them logged, you have your sleep and nutrition logged as well, uh, and you are competing every weekend and you try to become tenth of a second or a couple of hundreds of a second better. So that's that's a good starting point. Uh, it turns out that the same kind of structure of creating your passport and your profile 
having a library of, of uh, different potential outcomes and running the optimization uh, engine is similar across many different situations. So it can be done. We've done work with recreational athletes now where the accuracy will be a bit lower. So if we can be... Why? Uh, because they have less data. Uh, they have less number of data streams and they have less historical uh, knowledge and they're also living their normal life. So they do a lot of other <laughs> things that are not uh, directly related to the training. Do you have any like a sport or discipline that you feel, uh, let's say, or is it right now your core discipline where you help out or not really you're divided into many disciplines? Uh, we're divided into many disciplines because the the goal going forward is to to be able to cater to anyone in any situation we should be able to tell you what will be the best for you to do today irrespectively of your goal or sport or if you're working towards long longer life in, in longevity research or if you're working towards um, more accurate uh, trading in the afternoon if you're a, if you're a wall street trader Mm -hmm. uh, or more alert and, and accurate if you're a, a in the military um, but we would so so just as an example we started with with football soccer because they because they asked us uh, it's uh, a bit tricky to to quantify performance for for let's say a defender in a team sport Mm -hmm. um, so we went into endurance sports that are more controlled. So swimming, running, cycling, uh, triathlon, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, we have uh, strength training as well, which is a different uh, beast altogether. And yeah. just to, we've done projects with with uh, baseball and uh, uh, boxers, MMA fighters, uh, and to show that it works in different situations. Our next project is around golf. So golf training recommendation engine, which is very different, but follows the same principles and, and we can reuse some of the modules, have some new modules, but have the same structure. So we're thinking if we can go from swimming to football to, golf. to f fighters to golf, it's, it should be pretty clear to, to, to the outside world that this could be applicable to, to any sport, any situation. And based on your research work, what would you say like what connects the most elite endurance athletes in the world in terms of genetic determinants of you know physical fitness i know you did a lot of research on that when you were assisting professor and and st still do actually that's one of the the projects i have uh the, one of the main reasons i came to stanford in the first place was for sports genetics and taking the individualization the obvious step for individualization is genetics and then finding your genetic profile and figuring out what to do uh, back then 2012 and we started one of the projects with best endurance athletes in the world uh, it's called elite uh, still available at stanford and still enrolling in rolling participants um, but when we started it it wasn't known if you needed a specific gene variant or or a set of specific gene variants to be able to to reach the very top uh, now we've we're 10 years into to the research uh, we've had almost thousand uh, athletes with super high vo2 max super high in, in aerobic fitness and also realized that the only thing that we know is that it's not one profile it's not that you need one genetic variant to be able to be great there are 
different ways, different genetic profiles, uh, different physiological profiles to reach the same level of performance. So then it's more a question of matching your profile, genetic or just uh, just your profile, with the type of training, type of activities you should do, and the things that you are most sensitive to. Mm -hmm. So there isn't any... So you can't say that based on that you are inclined to any particular sport, but rather a genre of sports with this, as I understand that. Yeah, there, you have, uh, let's dig a little bit deeper into this. So in some sports, the more complex sports, the less genetic determination, because you can be great, you can be a great what soccer do you mean player. By complex sport yeah. yeah so for example uh, a, a very straightforward sport would be uh, 10k running that's an endurance event okay. uh, yeah. 100 meter dash is another straightforward sport and, and you would uh, try mm -hmm. to run as fast as possible and that's the only thing that's there uh, it's no, not it's a bit of technical but it's not much um, yeah. and then you can go to one level of more complex in terms of that it's a higher technical skill but you can determine some of the, the effects by your size, for example. Uh, discus thrower would be beneficial to be tall and with long arms because of the biomechanical aspects, but there's still a technical aspect. So the genetic, you can, to some degree, work around your genetics mm -hmm. uh, and be better and win Olympic gold anyway. Um, and, and being Swedish, one of the examples would be the high jumper uh, Stefan Holm, uh, where where he's too short to be a high jumper and and height is one of the easiest way to find mm -hmm. a genetic determinant for uh, just look at the parents and, and say uh, you're gonna you're not gonna be that tall so don't do high jumping uh, and he still uh, jumped one of the the uh, you know, top jumpers in the world in world championship uh, medals and, and golds and, and uh, Olympic gold and, and everything um, so looking at the genetic profile will not determine everything. It will not exclude you. And especially not if you go to more complex sports. And complex, in that sense, I mean team sports. Mm -hmm. So if you look at different positions in a team, they would have different skills. So you can be fast or slow. You can be tall or short. You can be quick or uh, make sure to be in the right spot. Uh, you can be a defender, you can be a striker, you can be a goalie. So in those cases, um, <clears throat> finding something within your strength and training on your strength is more relevant than trying to do a genetic test. A, a genetic test in those situations is completely useless. Um, mm -hmm. So we're not, in general, we're not doomed, right? So it, it, there, is still a, there is still a talent or a different, let's say, measurements applicable rather than only genetics. But the more complex the sport is, then it's applicable. But the less it is, then I understand that genetics is more important. Uh, maybe we should say that something like sprinting, uh, it's harder to train, whereas endurance is, is easier to improve. Um, it's a differences in, in different parts of the world as well but uh it's also depending on when you when you start some sports you need to start early to be really successful some sports you can you can start later um and in general <clears throat> as of today there there are no genetic tests there are are relevant uh, good enough to be relevant and give more information than what you can see from the training
hopefully in the future we can be better at not excluding or selecting but prescribing based on genetic profile not looking at a few genes but many and gene many genetic variants okay and your science research interests is not only that but in general you find out how the body works how it reacts in different sports etc in different contexts but so what are other important conclusions in this field that you know you have drawn from your own research other than the one we just you know mentioned yeah i think that some of the things we're working on now um i would say that one interesting field that is relevant for both the research and svexa is that you get technology revolution in what you can measure and if you can measure many different things you have a much better chance of finding out what matters mm -hmm. and how to to tweak that to your advantage um old mm -hmm. school just going by feel is, is probably pretty good but you can be more accurate uh, if you have all the data if you can handle the data uh, and then so the technological revolution and, and being able to measure things in the first place it's super interesting and, and combining different types of, of uh, data uh, and then if we build on the the genetic uh, that the individualization is is very relevant and that it would be bigger variations um, for for people within a sport or within a country than between countries so it's something that is is relevant for how you respond to to being sleep deprived or energy deficit or your uh, glucose curves or, or whatever you look at uh, taken into the individualization taking the individualization into account is super super important but then it turns out that you can find profiles that are more similar so you can group people you can cluster people and say you belong to this cluster and even if we don't know everything about you we're going to assume that you respond similar to these people that we tested before that are in the same cluster based on the numbers you've shown us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as I said, there are kind of preliminary data now uh, in our research that based on your ethnicity, as an average for, for that ethnicity, you might have adapted differently to the same performance. So your physiology to reach the same performance level might be different if you're a Scandinavian or from Japan or in Japan or uh, East Africa. And those genetic adaptations uh, kind of help you dictate what you can be really good at. Mm -hmm. uh, so just from an empirical um evaluation you can look at sprinters they have a, a specific set of, of uh, countries they they origin for um if you look at middle distance runners you have many great scandinavians you don't have that many great japanese runners and if you look at long distance running marathon you have a lot of great japanese runners but not many scandinavians okay and now we're starting to be able to map that to physiological adaptation so, for example, you can have the same performance level at 10K, but you can get that from a from, uh, uh, big engine. Uh, you can be a Lamborghini or you can be a Toyota Prius, and you can go either long or you can go fast and yeah. be wasteful or, or efficient. And this is in sports, so this is, this is brand new and, and something that is just preliminary. Uh -huh. What we know is that, for example, adaptation to altitude 
uh, is different physiological adaptation to the same problem in mm -hmm. different parts of the world. So how you solve this problem in, in the Himalayas is different from the Andes than is different from the Ethiopian highlands. Um, and that is very interesting because that gets um, that is affecting everything you do in in, uh, in training and, and physiology as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So like, as for example, Sherpas are that used to altitude in the Himalayas, right? Because they were living there, etc, etc. Oh, yeah. And yeah. same with the Andes. Well, we can take the Andes and, and the, the Sherpas. So, for example, the, the uh, Sherpas will be great at uh, working at lower oxygen saturation. So they can continue mm -hmm. to go even if the, the oxygen saturation in their body is low. Whereas the, the Andes, uh, they have instead higher VO2 max, higher uh, red blood cell count. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I also read in one of the articles I saw, uh, you mentioned the work of the if, if effects of anti-inflammatory drugs right on performance injury effects and training recovery so basically the the research area has extended to also include the ultra running right and maybe even military activities with like the emphasis on nutrition and maybe you can elaborate more on the effects <laughs> of the work because it's yeah so, so now we're jumping back to to original research so so we started uh, if, if the last things I talked about was was uh, basically what we're doing now and, and genetic research at Stanford and in, in uh -huh. these uh, past years and, and upcoming years I would say uh, and then the ultra endurance as we started that research back in 2005 uh, so a lot of those uh, research papers and questions are maybe from from uh, 2005 and, and 10 years uh, onwards there and a similar starting point uh, with ultra endurance athletes uh, the textbook wouldn't work so meaning that if you read what's what it says in the textbook you shouldn't be able to run the ultra marathon races uh, yeah, uh, so some something else must happen and then the question was what is actually happening? Because we know that they are completing the races at those speeds. So clearly uh, <laughs> that's happening. So what, what is different and what can, what can we figure out there? So that research question was very broad. So we had uh, specialists from everything from, from uh, mitochondrial, uh, mitochondrial work and biogenesis and efficiency to endocrinologists to medical doctors and you talked about mm -hmm. the anti-inflammatory drugs here uh, to my, my specialty was in, in uh, cardiovascular system and how the heart and, and uh, cardiovascular system adapts and we had people looking into to energy uh, an energy deficit and how to to improve and, and uh, improve and survive basically so if we take the the part of that with the anti-inflammatory drugs, it was a bit of a, a conundrum. Mm -hmm. So for example, it's a different situation if you're trying to train and improve or if you're trying to perform and win. So you can have, for example, high vitamin doses or, or high doses of anti-inflammatory drugs and you wouldn't feel anything, but you might also blunt your training effect. So it's negative to use it during training. And then if you look at it in performance, obviously anti-inflammatory drugs are, are also painkillers. Uh, so you wouldn't feel that you're hurting. And then we looked at um, competitions, so, so uh, adventure racing competitions, and, and uh, looking at uh, 
the use of anti-inflammatory drugs and correlated that to performance. Mm-hmm. And in those, this just descriptive, descriptive statistic, descriptive uh, information. But in those races, it turned out that the best performers uh, consumed more anti-inflammatory drugs. They also had more muscle breakdown. Uh, so basically saying that they used the drugs to be able to push themselves harder. Whereas the people at the lower end of the spectrum didn't use the drugs, didn't have as much breakdown, and also didn't perform as well. But I need to ask you a question on a more personal note, because I know you're still a researcher and you do and you know, having your own business. How many hours in the week you work, you know, because you're still <laughs> a researcher, running your own business, and also doing ultra endurance um sports which is you know i'm 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 nothing compared to that but i mean i'm 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 a i'm an amateur triathlete and i have like nine hours per week which is still i mean it's like busy for me so how how many hours do you work per week <laughs> um <clears throat> I, i think that the question is not to work more hours but be efficient in the hours that you work mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> And in my case, I I don't have fixed hours, so I, I work a lot, but I also enjoy what I'm doing. So for me, the key key aspect is that I work on something that I have a bit more control over. Uh, I can control my days, and I can take a day off, and I can I can go for a long lunch uh, at the the ocean beach if I want to, uh, and then but I might also work Saturday evening. Uh, Uh, but it's not the the, the control and uh, working with something I'm passionate about are allowing me to work a lot more than if I worked a nine to five and someone told me what to do and I would work on something that I didn't believe in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think for me, uh, it's all intertwined. So it's a synergy, obvious synergy effects between the work that I do in, in research and the company. And We've set the company up so that it's uh, part of the company is, is uh, for us to be thought leaders and, and develop new new science. That's part of what we wrote in the uh, values and philosophy of the company from the very beginning. So it fits. And also having the practical uh, work in the company allows me to... You touch a bit? Uh I would say that the the adventure racing and the ultra endurance, that the, the detachment and then the off the grid and and uh, taking um, vacations. Uh, so, so those are vacations for me nowadays, uh, more, more than anything else. Uh, it's experience. It's uh, it's uh, something physical rather than being in front of my my computer. Mm-hmm. It forces me to to train during the rest of the weeks as well. Being able to work in intervals uh, work hard when needed and be able to detach when needed and plan for detachment before before it's needed so make sure that i have um, um, parts of the week where i i will not work uh, and also longer stents where i uh, take off completely for, in my opinion this is very disruptive i mean what you're doing is very disruptive on the market but what are in your opinion, uh, the current challenges of this particular market or like challenges or opportunities, you know, in the field of exercise intelligence, data and sport, etc. You know, how you position yourself to to address them? Yeah, that, that's a very uh, broad question and a big question. Uh, and, and I think that we can we can take an 
analogy with uh, sports analytics. So we usually uh, separate between sports analytics and, and exercise analytics or exercise intelligence in that sports analytics is usually game stats and, and you can use uh, publicly available data sets and see how someone is, you can look at games and see how someone is, is uh, scoring or where it's the highest probability to, to score or who should be in what position during what time against what defender, for example. Um, and exercise analytics intelligence, we also need the backend information. We need to, to know what's happening and we need to work closer with the, the, um, the team or the athlete or the person. So we need to get the data that is not publicly available. Uh, so that's, that's a, a shift in, in thinking. It's also a shift in thinking for, for same way that you had sports analytics that mm -hmm. maybe, uh, yeah, usually you, you put 20, 2002 as the starting point for, for sports analytics, where we're Oakland A's in baseball, uh, picked their team based on on stats um, cybernetics uh, and at that time no one believed in that and no one had uh, statistics analysts or statisticians uh, on their uh, ro roster or in their staff uh, but nowadays you could look at any any football team soccer team uh, and they would have Mm -hmm. an entire department with with uh, taking care of that video analysts and, and whatnot and we are in, in the exercise intelligence side, when we started 2018, we were somewhere around 2002 for sports analytics. <laughs> so, so we have um, a lot of education to do. And we have to, so people would say that they don't have the funds for it. They don't have money to do it, uh, which is obviously not true. It's just an allocation. Uh, you didn't have money for the video analysts, but now you have four or eight on your, your staff. Uh, so it's a question about prioritization and also an understanding of the value and that the field must be better at proving value uh, for the, the end user if we talk about sports. And same thing in the corporate health world, for example. What What's different here? What would be better if we do an individualized approach compared to what we're already are doing. How do you see Svexa evolving in the future? You know, are there any like new developments or initiatives that you feel um, might be the future of, of that field? I mean, ex the, the, the exercise intelligence? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, obviously, we, we think that uh, it's the inevitable way forward, because now when we can make these calculations we can calculate what's best for you if we have all the data and we know your profile then it would be it would be stupid not to use it for for everyone right it yeah, would right. be uh and if we continue forward it would be a commodity that was something you should have today you mentioned also that it's very early for a lot of disciplines so you think it's going to be a span of five years or 10 or, or you know, two, uh, where it will, be, will become just a must have for each team and athlete, uh, this kind of analysis, this kind of data analysis, this kind of approach to trainings, 
Um, so first of all, I think that the field must um, <clears throat> must improve a little bit. So we're continuously doing scientific uh, research here uh, at Svexa specifically for the things we're claiming. So if we say that individualized uh, training for a runner, for example, is better than a standard program, we are now doing the research to prove that it's this many percent better if you do it this way compared to the standard way. Uh, same with how good are our illness uh, detection algorithms. We need to prove that. And the field as a whole need to be better, more mature in, in understanding what can be done and what can't be done. What can we do with this type of data? What can we do if we have double the amount or double the number of, of data streams? So the science need to be more mature to be stable and be able to answer those questions in, in, a, mm -hmm. in a truthful way. Uh, and then we see now that the for for the sports world, it's starting to become something that is more standard and more asked for. And then the question is not if you should have it, it's how you should have it. So you would have uh, uh, rich, big teams. They would like to build it in-house themselves. And then you would have all the other ones that would like to to get some solution that is smooth and interacts, integrate with, with what they have today. And I would say that from our perspective, we're seeing now that software hardware companies are coming back to us and I guess a bit of maturity that they have, uh, they're starting to understand what it can do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, why and why it's needed, right? why it's needed and the value and how it can work. And, and they are coming with, with uh, tweaks and suggestions that would fit their situation better, which is something that we didn't see two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, so that will take a few more years, but somewhere in, in the realm of five to 10 years, it's hard to, 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 to say oh, now, things are going so much faster, accelerated speed on everything, but five to 10 years from now, uh, I would say that it's uh, uh, in sports definitely a commodity. You will you will you will be left behind if you're not using the analytics in a in a in a better way. Yeah, that's uh, true. And sports and, and uh, pro teams, if you didn't optimize your players and your opponents are doing that, that would be you would be left behind. Mm -hmm. um, so five ten five years in sports, it would be. It would be there. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. Sure. Mm -hmm. And what about the, uh, the, the? You mentioned some potential clients or or, or or teams or clubs coming back to you. But what would be the, you know, the like the general advice to give to to give to athletes, coaches, teams, or clubs who are considering utilizing services like yours or implementing even Svexa services or implementing exercise intelligence in their training programs if they have no, you know prior experience with that so what would be the advice how to do it the right way <laughs> uh, first of all i'd like to go old school in my answer there that the the most important part is to do your training and listen to your body so basically what we are developing is a is a system to detect your individual profile and what to do in that situation yeah. a good athlete and a good coach if if they listen to those signals can do it themselves manually so it's not it's not the starting starting point uh, mm -hmm. so just adding more technology can usually cloud the situation and mm -hmm. if you don't have the entire picture and you listen to to one device and, and listen to one uh 
set of, of data streams, you're missing the whole picture usually. So the first advice would be to to listen to your body and, and take care of your situation and trust what's happening with you. And then build on that by using data streams as a decision aid. Uh, and then a company like Svexa would help you condense all those data streams because we, we, we are convinced that it's better to have data from many sources, but then it's overwhelming for the athletes. So you need the layer of condensing and picking picking the most important parts so that you get two or three things to think about, not 150. Mm -hmm. And the um, I, I'm, I'm curious about the onboarding because I know that probably once you get the data needs to you learn on the data. So obviously uh, it's more accurate the longer you analyze it and the more data streams you have and more data in general. But what, what's the general timing when the improvement is seen? Is it like after a month of using that or after three months or six months? Or it's very individual based on the sport, discipline, and a particular athlete? Um, or is there a timeline that is, you know, it kicks in? <laughs> we, we would say that we must be able to deliver value from day one. Okay. Uh, so, for example, if we have something about you, we can a uh, backfill your historical data and start that in our analysis. Uh, but even with our scientific knowledge, which which is pretty pretty deep in the company and and a bunch of PhDs in different areas, so just the scientific advice in the first layer, even if we don't know anything about you more than what you want to do uh, and your maybe age and height and weight and stuff like that we should be able to give you a good recommendation. Uh, again, I wouldn't suggest that this is something for, for the elite athlete because they have the coaches and they have the data. So that, that's for more for a recreational athlete. Mm -hmm. But for a recreational athlete, starting with any of our systems, uh, Elida is for running training now and, and we're adding cycling, swimming, rowing, triathlon to that shortly. There you can start and, and set your get your training plan and it will be better and more tailored to you from day one, but then it will improve continuously, as you said. Uh, and the good thing is, while you are improving, your data is getting better and the accuracy of the system will be better. Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. Okay. And then and, if yeah. we talk about uh, corporate health, uh, it is just the fact that you don't just get the standard recommendations, you get something for you based on your situation will make that better from from the get-go as well. Uh, and your ability to... Usually in, in, uh, in a corporate health setting, you have a lot of different content uh, and you can go to a, a yoga session or you can be part of the step count competition or you can get a massage or whatever. Uh, and it's up to you to figure out what to to pick from all of that in the the uh, in the content uh, and the recommendations engines recommendation engines that are available are more of a netflix type uh, recommendation meaning that you get more of the things that you like which is not the same thing as more yeah. of the things that you should have that should have exactly <laughs> yeah but you, you, you mentioned uh, there are a lot of research, researchers and you have a, you know, internal knowledge within the company. So are there any like research and scientific partnerships and new ones or important ones that Svexa has engaged in to, you know, further, further advance the, the, um, the service? Did you 
the field of exercise intelligence right now or in the future you're planning to? So first of all, we, we have our own uh, research unit with, with uh, Philip Larsen, one of the co-founders, uh, associate professor at Swedish School of, of uh, Health and Sports Sciences. So we have a PhD student and, and research assistants and, and uh, people doing work uh, with Svexa data and, and uh, checking our algorithms. And I mentioned before the the study on, on if individualized training is actually better, for, for example. Uh, and then we still have the connections to Stanford and, and uh, we leverage the the knowledge there and it could be in uh, the next study there is in, in uh, uh, digital health. So mobile study for general population and showing that individualized prompts, recommendations are better than generic, um, which is good and, and uh, adding to what we have here. Uh, the next step in that study is around motivational profiles and uh, reinforcement learning and, and how can we in physical activity we're in a situation where most people know that it's good to exercise most people know what they could do should do uh, and they're still not exercising uh, or they might start but not continue so how do we then find motivational profiles same way as we talk about profiles for for endurance training and that some people might be adapt better to high volume and some better to high intensity it will be this a similar situation in in motivational profiles that gamification for example is great for some people but not all mm -hmm. uh, social support is great for another group of people and uh, some other again another group of people are, are information driven so they want something uh to to tell them why to do it and what happened after the mm -hmm. so the next study there is going to be around uh teasing out different motivational profiles and, and behavioral change and, and actually continuing to do your your exercise mm -hmm. and, and then uh, could, could could i could, could go on here uh so obviously we have a, a lot of things uh in the pipeline and and we're not going to run out of ideas and, and things to to improve in this field but there are a good bunch of efforts now i don't know if it's biased to what i get uh mm -hmm. suggested but there are many many situations where you have pretty long-term efforts in different countries so some of them are pretty pretty obvious you would have for for uh, the olympics uh, la us 2028 you would have for for brisbane australia 2032 you have other countries like india and, and saudi arabia that are doing 10-year plans for for how to get more medals in the the olympics or other sports and then you would have um other national efforts um all over europe and the us in in usage of data and uh, analytics and intelligence to improve their performance and those efforts might be six or seven years long so you have your own in-house research team but and we i just had a also a podcast recording with dear uh, fisher ex-founder of um, of training peaks and he mentioned that his most of his employees were either ex-athletes maybe not most but a lot of employees were ex-athletes etc is that what as well you know in order to have a great product for our athletes are you actually, you know, focusing on that uh, aspect to have people that are, as you, right, as an active uh, amateur athlete, may I call it, right, or is not the case? It's pretty much the case. Um, we, we wrote in the philosophy and values before we started the company that you need at least 
dual competencies, meaning that you should be able to talk over the silos. So the idea here is that you could have business people that they know nothing about the science or they know nothing about the sport, and that wouldn't be relevant for us. And at the other end of the spectrum, you could have scientists that know nothing about business and nothing about practical sports. So we have a lot of athletes on the team. Uh, we have a, a handful of, of uh, Olympians and former Olympians. We have now probably the the fastest running uh, analyst team in the world, where, where <laughs> three of our analysts are, are uh, uh, training to compete in the World Championships uh, later this year. Uh, we have a, a professional triathlete that do uh, in the analyst team as well. We have former Olympian in the business team, uh, Olympic swimmer from India in the business team. Um, and then we have, maybe not at the high level, but we have people coming from um, Wall Street trading, so being analyst and, and understanding that type of, of uh, mathematics uh, that then turned uh, endurance coach. So they have the, the background with the numbers and, and then they're practical with the coach. We have similarly uh, one of the, the uh, strength and conditioning coaches now did uh, eight or ten years at Microsoft before he shifted careers. But is it like they understand because you mentioned that they just understood the product better just way better than, than 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 people that didn't have anything to do in the sport in the past so so you know they could just they understood the features and everything and they made this product great because they actually could use it on themselves so i understand that's a similar case in a in a sense yes i should should also say that this is based on me and one of the co-founders talked about before philip larson uh, mm -hmm. before we started sex we had been advising uh, other startups uh, from the the okay. uh, physiological and, and exercise science side so we had seen examples where the development team had no relation to the data uh, and then everything takes longer and if you don't know what you're measuring and you don't know the numbers you are working on they're just yeah. numbers meaning that for that team a heart rate of 400 was not strange because it was just a number okay so yeah, like but by having people on the team that understand the the basics of the situation and then have an interest in the situation they the the idea here is that they are a more interested in working with the data because they have some connection to it and we would be avoid those stupid mistakes of, of uh, not knowing what the data means what would be the three but you have to name three <laughs> pieces of advice that you will give yourself at the beginning of your uh, either scientific or business career i suppose they are combined in a sense and the advice that you you know to yourself that might be useful for to other founders First advice would be work with people and hire people that you like to work with. Mm -hmm. B would be uh, think long term and that things will take longer than you expect and, and uh, be aware of that and stamina is important and mm -hmm. surviving long term is one of the key factors to being successful. Mm -hmm. Okay. And <laughs> the third one would be the opposite of that, meaning <laughs> get something out uh, and and uh, don't expect it to be perfect, but make iterations as you go along. Uh, thanks for joining today. Uh, and uh, that was a wow, an extraordinary episode, in, uh, in my opinion. I uh, hope we'll be able to, um, to do it again, again sometime. 
thank you thank you very much for joining us today thank you this was a, was a very nice uh, talk and, and uh, looking forward to uh, joining again later stay in touch with us subscribe to our podcast give us a like comment or share if you want to reach out personally you can find me on linkedin and instagram